Outlet Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That's the UK's leading Christian magazine and it sponsors this show. Each week on The Profile, we're delighted to present to you a new interview with someone in the Christian world. And today's guest is a special one. She is the author of Redeeming Love, which is one of the best-selling works of Christian fiction of all time. Since its release, Redeeming Love has sold millions of copies. It's been translated into 28 different languages and continues to this day to hold a top spot on the Christian bestsellers list. The Grammy Award-winning singer Amy Grant said that the truth contained within the novel took me to my knees. I was a changed person when I finished reading. Francine Rivers is the author of that book and many others. She's a writer of historical Christian fiction and she's spoken to Claire Musters for today's show. If you'd like to read this interview, you can check it out in the pages of Premier Christianity magazine. If you'd like to receive the magazine each and every month through your letterbox, we've got a special offer on right now where you can get a whole year's worth of content for less than £20. That means a monthly magazine through your letterbox. That means full online access. And it even means we'll enter you into a prize draw to win £200 worth of new Christian books. All of that for less than £20. Just go to premierchristianity.com dot com forward slash subscribe to take advantage of this deal premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe but without any further ado let's listen in to claire musters in conversation with francine rivers so it's wonderful to have you here francine and i know that you are such a prolific author so my first question that i wanted to ask you is have you always wanted to be a writer Yes, I always wanted to be a writer from the time I was a little girl, but I didn't know what I would write because I didn't really like to read. And I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't a very good reader either. Um, but I, I went to college and majored in English with an emphasis in literary writing and minored in journalism because I had no idea what I was going to be writing. It was actually uh, Rick's family, my husband's family, that... Um, started passing me novels because my parents were nonfiction readers. Right. So once I got started reading popular fiction, that just, ah, that's what I want to write. But you weren't doing, I mean, you're obviously most well-known for Christian fiction, but that's not yes. the genre you started in. So how I, did, yeah. what genre was it and how did that come about? Steamy historical romances when they were on the upswing and then um, became a Christian in my late 30s and that's quite an interesting story how you became yeah. a Christian, isn't it? Was it something bad? Well, neighbor? Rick and I were struggling in our marriage, and we decided we needed to move closer to family. So we sold our house in Southern California, and I moved into a rental so the children could finish school for the, for the school year. And Rick moved north and started a, a business, an aviation business. And he was looking for a home to rent, and there was nothing available until the last minute. And we ended up moving between two um, families that were Christian families both attending the same church and it was a little boy about eight years old and he was coming over and asking if he could help us move in and it was very pesty and Rick finally gave him a box of shoes or something to carry into the house and the little boy is saying have I got a church for you so I started going a few weeks later and then uh, we had been in churches in Southern California but Jesus had left the building so Rick really was not interested in going again, so I asked the pastor if he'd be willing to teach a home Bible study. And he said, if, if your husband's agreeable, I'd be very interested. And Rick said, sure. So if you can't get your husband to church, you bring the church to your husband. We were baptized on the same day in 1986. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. And I read that um, after you became a Christian, you actually had writer's block, and yes. that was the, the cause of you changing your focus. Can you talk yeah, a little bit about well, that? Well, I, I couldn't write for about three years, and I couldn't figure out why, and I think that um, writing had really become an idol in my life. There, were, there was one time when Rick and I went out for a walk, and he said, if you had a choice between me and the children and your writing, you'd take your writing. And it really made me stop and think, because that's kind of the way I felt at the time. <clears throat> so I knew that my priorities were really off. 
But I think that three-year period, that's when I started reading the Bible and just seeking the Lord. And I realized that, you know, he, he was basically saying to me, you say you want to be my child, but you don't even know who I am. And when writing ceased to matter, and I didn't care if I ever wrote again, we did a minor prophet study and came to the book of Hosea. And then it was like God saying, this is the romance I want you to write. And that was the last one that I did for the general market. And it was in the same genre and the same time period I'd been working in because it was geared at the people who'd been reading my work. Yeah, right. Because on your uh, website, you talk about redeeming love being like a statement of faith. Yes. But I have also read that it came out for the general market. And then yeah. once the rights, re- you you then did some rewrites. So yeah. what do you mean about it being your statement of faith? Well, it really tells a story of God's love. It's an allegory. And I felt like a child of darkness. We We all are. I was always looking in every other place for answers except going to the Lord. And not understanding how deeply he loves us. So that prophet story really got through to me. And I'd, I'd grown up in the church, so I'd heard the gospel. I believed, but I think there's a, there's a huge difference between Jesus as just your Savior, and then you figure, I can do whatever I want to do, he'll save me, rather than having him as Lord of your life. And you're looking to him to guide you in every aspect of your life. And I think that's when the change started happening for me. Yeah, so... so. So, but you set it in the American Gold Rush. So, how yes. did you come up with that setting idea? I mean, well, it's very it, different, isn't it? Yeah, it was really well. The time period that I was writing in in the general market to begin with, the steamy historical romances were all in California between 1840 right. and 1880. So, I thought I'm going to set it in the same time period to reach the people who had been reading my books. And then I'd get letters from people, I wish there was a Michael Hosea, and I could say, well, there is, and his name is Jesus. The story is all yeah. about Christ's love. Yeah. So it was my way of of showing what had happened in my life and the difference that he had made in my life. And then it, I thought it was going to be the last book I wrote. But then I had all these questions that kept coming up, <laughs> and writing has really become a tool. I can use the the different characters or are answering the question in their their way and then there's one strong christian in the book Mm. or one struggling christian that becomes stronger in faith through the journey but it's you know like how do i share my faith that's what started a voice in the wind Mm. so but but redeeming love is still a bestseller isn't it Um, decades on why do you think that is i think it i think it resonates with people i think people are hungry and thirsty for the lord and they they don't know it they're looking in all the wrong places, and they they're hungering for that kind of love. That so only a good God story can give. Yeah, is a hook, and then you kind of go, "Bam! This is actually yeah, it's <laughs> the truth." Love. There really is there really is somebody that can love you like that. Yeah, yeah. And you actually have, I believe, a contract for a movie for that book. Uh, we finally. have an option in place. What does that mean? Uh, it means hopefully it will become a movie. Okay. I I wrote the script, and they are. Um, you know we're we're in the waiting mode right now okay. trying to see what's going to happen with it so how different is it like tweaking things to, to put it on a big screen rather than in a book uh it's very different i found uh, because you can't go inside the person's head everything has to be visual mm. and you can give some direction but it all has to be seen um in the expressions in the in the dialogue that kind of thing and it, you take a I think the book is about 470-some pages, and you have to condense it down to 115 pages with lots of white space. So to try to get the whole message in there, and that was what was important to me. Other people had written scripts, but every time I read it, I thought they aren't getting who Michael is and the kind of love he's portraying. So I thought I just want to tackle it myself and see if I can do it. So you have had one other book, The Sin Eater, Yes, it was made into film, movie. wasn't it? And somebody else wrote that script? Yes, Brian Bird so what and was, Michael Lennon Jr. What was it like to see it come to life, as it were, on the big screen it, then? It was, it, they did a really good job of keeping the story. I was very pleased with it. Um, they had very little money to make the movie, and it basically had a very small distribution, unfortunately. Right. But I enjoyed it. We got to go on set and watch for a while. It, it amazed me with the actors because... The, you know, the, the little girl would be crying and going through this whole scene, and then they'd say, cut, and she's laughing and playing and running around, and then, okay, come back and stand on your line and do it again. It's, 
and tears. I'm going, how do they do that? That's amazing. <laughs> so. so which would you say out of the books that you've written is your favorite? I mean, I've read in the past that it's been redeeming. Love. Is it that still, still the, is. Yeah. Still and because, it, yeah, it really, um, I felt like I had been angel my whole life, just looking elsewhere and going through the process of, I think it started, it's what, 25 years ago that I wrote it. And, um, but if, just t- starting out as a child of darkness, which we all are to begin with, we're all at that center when we're born with that nature, and then being defiant against God, and then fearing, fearing him because he doesn't ask for little bits and pieces of our life. He wants all of us. He wants everything that we are. And then humility, you know, letting go of things and living for him, and then joy in the morning the joy that he gives us in the relationship with him. Mm. Great. What about books that you haven't written? What would you say is your favorite book? Book that I haven't written? Mm. Well, the Bible. (laughs) Um, My favorite book is usually the one I happen to be reading at the time. Right. It's like, I know that sounds really strange, but um, every book that I read, I try to select carefully, and every writer has a unique voice. So you're getting to know that person. Mm. And I, I don't think there's any such thing as a best book of the year or a best book, because if it's speaking to you and you're learning from it, yeah, that makes it important. And so back to your own books, you quite often have a love story in there, and oh, yeah. there are um, similar themes that weave throughout the books as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did those become the focus of your books? And can you just kind of describe what the common themes are that thread the way through your writing? I, you know, that probably would come better from somebody else to know that <laughs> I know I tend to f- focus on people that are down and out uh, and have difficult lives, even Christians, because I don't, I don't know any Christians that have had an easy time of it or haven't made mistakes. I don't know any perfect people. So, and I think that uh, a lot of Christian fiction years ago was, you know, if there was a conflict, it was because they were tempted. It wasn't because they actually fell into sin in any way. And I think that uh, there are so many people now that are broken that I tend to write about those people mm-hmm. or write for those people. As we've, we've already touched on this, that some of your books are retellings of biblical stories. Yes. And how different some of the settings are that you put them in. So how do you work and how do you approach putting together a biblical retelling story? And are you concerned about trying to keep true to the essence of the story or are you quite excited about letting your imagination fly and see where it goes? I think the only one with the biblical fiction that I kind of let my imagination go, excuse me, is Silas because we don't really know much about him. So I was able to kind of imagine who he might have been. Uh, with the others, I try to stick as close to Scripture as I can with the idea that Bible study at the end to make it clear that this is one person's view of this particular person, but anybody who reads it, they're going to get something new and unique out of it, that Scripture meets us where we are. Yeah. And we don't know all the details. We know a lot about the culture and we know what's in the Word of God, but we don't know what was going on in their minds and their hearts at the time. So that's imagination. And to remind people that fiction is only meant to, Christian fiction is only meant to be a bit bridge back into the real thing. It's mm. to whet the appetite to get people to read Scripture and look and see what's there. So what place do you think imagination has in reading the Scripture for yourselves as well? Oh, I think, well... Not so much imagination. I think when you're reading it, um, things just pop out at you. You can read the same scriptures over and over again, and then you read it another time, and something new comes out of it. Mm. Um, so I think God speaks to us in, in creative ways. Yeah. So. Would you say that there are elements of yourself in every book that you've Probably. <laughs> And is there any character? And maybe, unfortunately, I don't know. Well, you've, you've talked about Angel, but is there any other character yeah. that you particularly relate to? Well, I, um, I can say that Hadassah is the kind of Christian I'd like to be, um, because I think in the beginning I was a fearful Christian, and that's what attracted me to her, to try to start out with a Christian that's afraid and has real reason to be afraid, because that's in Roman times. And then to show how she grows and to try to find the perspective that God had. And what I learned from that book is that 
that you you just you live your life, you live your faith, and people are watching. I think it, people are always watching Christians. They they want to see us mess up, but they they watch us and they want to see how we react to different things, and then eventually they ask the question, and God provides the answer. Mm-hmm. It's not memorizing certain things to say at the time. So how do you <clears throat> maintain that balance of vulnerability if you feel that you should be sharing part of yourself in mm-hmm. a character? Um, and the it must be quite easy to, I can hide behind this character um, and not yeah. reveal myself. How do, you, how do you go about actually revealing things that you feel like God... Try not to think to about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try not to think about it. And, it, you know, I, w- I would be... I think I I understood Julia more than I understood Hadassah and Julia as the evil character, the you know, manipulator, and that I I thought I understood her, um, but I want to be like Hadassah. So you, you and mentioned the goal, that the goal really in in writing, I think, any of the books that I've written is to learn from them and to grow as a Christian, and to offer a tool to people that they can pass on to people that don't want to read the Bible because a lot of people. You you want to share your faith, but you they aren't gonna they aren't gonna want to hear about Jesus. They aren't mm-hmm. gonna want to read the Bible, but they will read a novel, mm-hmm. and that can open up ways to talk to them about your own yeah. faith. And those characters that you're talking about are part of the trilogy that you wrote that's set yes. in Roman times, isn't it? And yeah. um, how do you go about researching? I mean, that I've oh. had so many comments about how meticulous. And the the tiniest details that you have in there that are just incredible. Mm. What you? How do you go about researching a particular time, um, especially if you may not have been in? You can't be an expert in every setting that yeah, you put your books definitely in. Definitely not. Definitely not. Well, I did a lot of reading and writing notes, and I make binders and have them divided in different things like clothing and political environment and housing, all kinds of stuff, and then. I don't have the kind of mind that retains, so I have to constantly be reviewing that. And then you'll be, the internet is helpful now. You know, you'll be writing along, and then all of a sudden you'll realize, I don't know enough about this. I need to start searching and finding out more information on that. So Mm. um, it's a constant thing. A long and labored process. But also, once the book is done and turned in, if you ask me questions about Rome now, I couldn't tell you anything, because my mind (laughs) seems to go into erase and start the new project and focus on that yeah. so I'm glad I'm not the only one as soon as I've yeah, finished either editing or writing a book I just yeah, immediately <laughs> it's gone it's gone I wish it wasn't but you have written an incredible amount of books how do you keep up your inspiration what is it that fuels that passion and, and motivates you to keep on writing um, I have no idea I think God must <laughs> be behind it <laughs> And usually it's a character that comes to my mind and just starts to build and they start yammering at me mm. and growing in my head. And then I, um, it seems like everywhere I look, you know, I'll have a question and answers start popping up here and there. And that's how I feel God's speaking to me about, okay, this is the project I want you to tackle this time. Okay, so yeah, I mean, so you just it becomes overwhelming, and you just start thinking about it. And it, but it's the people that come first; the story yeah. comes later, and then the the setting of the story comes after that. That's interesting. And then I never know. I I'm a what they call a seat of the pants writer. You you just start and you just begin to write, and the story begins to come. I I do turn in an outline. <laughs> but Tyndale also knows the book is not going to look anything like that when it's done, you know. But we built trust over the years, so they. Oh, yeah, that must be great, yeah, to have a publisher like that. Yeah, I mean, you is. have mentioned in a few places about these questions, and and I've read that you say that each of your stories starts with a question, and yes. actually your writing process is yeah. you on a quest. So I, I guess that does really describe the fact that you don't really know where you're going. I don't know, and the characters uh, sometimes do strange things and. You know, it, with the masterpiece, I really had to get to know them because I, I wanted Grace to be perfect, and she really couldn't be perfect. I mean, it didn't make any sense. I don't know any perfect Christians. So, you know, a lot of things were going on, and I had to do a lot of rewriting and rethinking and starting over. Frustrating. Mm. <laughs> 
Well, you, you've talked about, I shall move on, because you talked about the Moss piece there, which is one of your, that's the latest book, isn't mm-hmm. it? And um, so that yeah. is about your central characters, Grace and Roman. And Roman, yes. And they have both um, had difficult childhoods. Yes. Um, been orphaned and suffered abuse. Mm-hmm. But obviously the way they respond to that is very different. How did yeah. that idea come about? What was the question and the issue that you wanted to cover in that? Well, I w- I've been thinking a lot about all so many broken families and broken children, and I've been involved in watching a ministry growing in our community called Crossing the Jordan and hearing the stories of some of these young women and it's uh, and the different ways people can tackle that. So I wanted to, to deal with childhood abuse and how that how that impacts adult thinking, how it follows them. And is there a chance for two very broken people to find wholeness together? And, of course, there is with Christ at the center, but it is a journey and a hard one. You have Mm. to work. So how do you make a a story like that believable, particularly if you have not had personal experience of the difficulties that, that they endured? A lot of reading, a lot of reading about case studies and uh, the psychology behind it, which was very disturbing. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things that really weighed on me is um, how prevalent it is that we don't realize. You took <clears throat> your characters and the ideas behind them to a group of therapists and actually got them to... Oh, I did. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> I have a good friend of mine that I met in, in Bible study fellowship as a family counselor, and I was talking to her about the story, and she said, well, why don't you bring your two characters and present them as case studies? At, they gather every month, and there are about 10 of them that get together. And so I presented Roman and, and Grace individually uh, in how I perceived them and how I perceived how they would respond emotionally and mentally to what had happened to them. And one gentleman was just, the tears were rolling. He said, I, I work with people like that all the time. And that's exactly the way they respond. Mm-hmm. You know, they, with Roman, it's the, the unwillingness to bond with anybody because everybody he ever loved died. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with Grace, just wanting to be perfect, wanting to be the perfect child so that she could earn the love of her aunt. So... You have some great secondary characters in there as well, don't you? Like oh, the friends. Jasper, who oh, Jasper, sees yeah. the potential in Roman when yeah. he doesn't see it in himself. Um, did you have people like that in your life, maybe with your writing, that actually saw your potential? Um, well, my husband did. <laughs> he found it. I, the, first, the first manuscript I wrote, um, as with many authors, I read a book and I said, I can do this. I can do better than that. And he said, well, go ahead and try. So I I did this story and I was working on it in the evenings and all of a sudden I'm not working on it anymore. And he said, well, what happened to the book? And I said, it's in the closet. And he said, well, I don't think somebody's going to come and knock on the door and ask if you happen to have a manuscript in the closet. So um, I had a lot of encouragement from family and friends. Um, and Jasper's, I had some awesome teachers I had some really good teachers in high school and and also in college Mm. so I think they're great influencers what about um people who still champion you in your calling today I mean I read something about that you every year you go on a pray plot and play retreat with fellow writers there are 10 of us sounds fantastic it is (laughs) a lot of fun we and and you see the books come out the next year or two which is really fun but we meet every year in Coeur d'Alene um, for five days, and we just we each take turns, and we throw a story onto the table, and we start discussing it and, and throwing ideas out. And, mm-hmm. and we always start with devotions in the morning and singing, and then we, that's, then we do the plotting, and then we have fun in the afternoon. That sounds great. Yeah, it's really fun. And they're, I think all but two are professional writers. So... What about um, mentors in your life generally? How important do you feel they are? Well, that's my topic right now that's fascinating me. Is I would like to understand more about mentoring and what that all means and how that looks. Hmm. So so do you have, um, uh, you mentioned about that you forget a story once it's done and then you're on to the next one. Yeah. Does that normally happen quite quickly? Are you already beginning to think of the, the 
the next characters when you're finishing off a book or do you normally have to take some time and space away well in previous years i've usually had a story already beginning to build you know and characters in my head before a book's done with the masterpiece i thought i'm finished <laughs> that's it oh, really i'm done um and i have i have told my uh, agent and my publisher that i will not be writing on under contract again because i feel like um Sometimes you need more time. And I think the the two best works, in my opinion, that I've done, Redeeming Love and A Voice in the Wind, were not done under contract. Mm-hmm. So you have that freedom of taking as much time as you need to finish mm-hmm. a, a book. And I have no idea, or I had no idea at that point what I'd be writing next. And I, I think probably mentoring. I've got two characters in my mind that are beginning to talk to me a little bit. But we'll see. Might change. Mm, that would be fascinating because so, that's a subject that I'm really interested yeah. in at the moment. I think discipleship and just championing each other is yeah. something that we kind of seem to have lost the art of. Well, we bit. have the older, so many older people in church, and we need to mentor the younger generation. Mm. And how do you do that? Especially when they are growing up in their. Yeah, my truth is their truth, and yeah. we don't like being told what to do. Or there is no such thing as truth. Yeah. Every yeah. the truth and you know relationships and everything are very fluid now, mm-hmm. so there's nothing to hold on to. It's just a sea of confusion. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio and Claire Muster's interview with Francine Rivers. There'll be much more coming from both Claire and Francine right after this. Premier Christianity Magazine. In this month's issue, we speak with best-selling Christian author Francine Rivers whose hugely popular novel, Redeeming Love, defined a generation. In this rare interview, she explains how her most loved characters came to life and reveals the reason she doesn't want people reading some of her books. Plus, does believing in God give you an edge in the boxing ring? The man who trained former heavyweight champion Tyson Fury seems to think so. And discover the true meaning of five important biblical words. All this and more in November's issue. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Good news. We've slashed the cost of subscribing to the UK's leading Christian magazine. Now you can read news from a Christian perspective and interviews with fascinating leaders for half the normal price. That's 12 issues of Premier Christianity magazine for less than £20. Plus, take out a subscription and we'll enter you into a prize draw to win £200 worth of new Christian books. There's never been a better time to subscribe. Go to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, introducing the show today. I'm the editor of Premier Christianity magazine, and that's the publication that sponsors this show. If you want to find out more about the magazine, just go to premierchristianity.com. But for now, I'm going to hand it back over to Claire Musters, who has interviewed the best-selling author, famously known, of course, for Redeeming Love, that historical novel that has been so, so popular all over the world. So let's listen into the second half of Claire Muster's interview with Francine Rivers. So which would you say was the most difficult book to write overall? The most difficult book for me was The Atonement Child because it dealt with my own personal experience with abortion and having to figure out, you know, am I truly forgiven and how do you get over that kind of grief and, and the shame that just held me for years. And so that that was a real hard one. And I ended up going to the local pregnancy counseling center to get training as a counselor. And then I realized when they were giving us the information about the the number of babies that have been killed that um, all the crosses, and I kept looking at the crosses and thinking, well, do all the mothers feel the way I do? You know, do they have that that sense that you never can go get over it and so I raised my hand and said there's another reason I'm here and then they put they said oh you should be in the post-abortion class and so I was going through that class as I was writing the book so it was, a it was huge... also it was very difficult to write but it was also the most healing book I've yeah. ever written and it was it was difficult on Rick because Rick had no part in that part of my life and we decided at the end to get remarried out of the 
you know, typical California wedding out on the beach with our kids there. Um, So we restated our vows. So the actual process was pretty grueling, but also cathartic and healing. but very healing. So you have had um, an enormous amount of success, a lot of awards. In 1997, you were inducted into the Romance Writers of America Hall Mm. of Fame. How do you deal with that kind of um, accolade from people? Is it does it provide extra pressure when you're trying to write, or are you able just to celebrate and then move on and focus on your next project? I think celebrate, and move on, and I and I don't compete anymore. I I was in one particular contest and won the award, and a friend of mine was also up for it, and she she cried and she said, "I don't, I don't." Um, I don't feel badly that she won, but she felt like she never measured up. And I thought, that's it. I'm never, ever entering another contest. And I haven't. Because I don't think in the in the Christian world, we shouldn't be raising one above the other. Mm. We're all equal before Christ, and we have different gifts. And, you know, the, the awards don't matter. The awards, as a matter of fact, are, most of them are in a closet in the garage. <laughs> mm. So, and it, what, you know, it's the book that's passed on that's what i want Hmm. so So i wanted to ask you the difference what you think the difference is between a christian writer and a christian who writes because this is quite a big thing i'm part of an association of christian writers and we have quite a lot of debate about this and i know there's a big market for christian fiction in america but not quite so much over here and so Mm -hmm. it is trying to get that line is quite difficult so what would you say to those who are um, aspiring writers or struggling writers over here that want to write and have some kind of Christian content. How how do you? Well, for me, Christian fiction. Um, if you can take the elements of Christianity out of it and take Christ out of the story, and the story still stands, it's not Christian fiction. If you take the faith element and Jesus out of it, what's the point? Hmm. That's the whole purpose for writing it is to declare his glory in a, in a different way and reach people in a different way and not to say that there aren't places where the Christians are writing and putting elements in there there's a place for that too but for, for me if you take all that out the story just collapses mm. so he is the story so is that something that you have very much at the forefront of your mind as you're writing, I mean, you said that characters sometimes just take on a life of their own, or do you think it's so much in your DNA that that just comes out naturally as you're writing? I, I think it comes out of my DNA, but I think, I think everything is all about God, whether people realize it or not. You know, it's always a struggle against God. Even when you're a Christian, you're struggling to want to be more like yes, him. Please true. transform me faster. <laughs> Why is it taking so long? But I think that, you know, the people that don't believe, they are in a battle with God, but they don't realize it. So it, everything in the world is about God. Mm. And that comes across quite graphically in, in your latest book, The Must Be mm. You've actually, there is a, a focus on art mm. and graffiti art. Yeah. And there's some quite vivid de- depictions of angels and hell. Um, was that something that you set out to do, or did that was well again, the hell that just part? Happened? I wanted in there because I feel that there are so many churches now that don't talk about hell. It's almost as though Jesus just came to enhance our lives, and He saves us. But what does salvation mean? Mm. Uh, it's sort of a a weak kind of thing, but. You know, he, Jesus talked about hell. It's a real place, and he's saving us from it. And we were in church um, up in Wimbledon, and the young pastor said that God essentially saved us from his, from himself, from his own wrath, mm. which I thought that was a profound statement mm. because he created everything. He owns everything, whether we acknowledge it or not, and he'll have the ultimate say in what happens to us. Mm. And I like being on his side. <laughs> I like belonging to him. And, you know, you want everybody else to belong to him, too. And he wants that. You know, he's constantly wooing people, but they just don't realize it. That's quite a fascinating way to be able to get that message across yeah. in in words, but actually through a very, a very visual 
way as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so was writing about the art world, was that something that you'd always wanted to do? Or again, no. is that... <laughs> Uh, we were in Eastern Europe, and I saw a lot of graffiti you know, as we were on the train, and I thought, it's beautiful. Some of it is really beautiful. And um, so that fascinated me. And then I heard about Banksy, and I guess he was in the news recently. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought, he, very interesting uh, person who knows who he is. And I thought that was kind of intrigued me. So Roman has that kind of a persona where nobody knows who he is. And that's where he lives. He lives through his graffiti where he can be himself and and let his emotions show. Um, so that whole aspect of his character fascinated me. And then we did, um, we were invited to Monterey to meet some students who came from the Czech Republic. And they were asking about, you know, what's your project? What's your next project? And I was talking about the masterpiece, which didn't have a name at the time. But I wanted to write about a graffiti artist, and the host family said, oh, we know one, Cameron Moberg in San Francisco. And so we were, I was able to meet him afterwards and see his graffiti work, which is on the cover of the book. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that's just a portion of the wall. He did an entire wall. And there, there used to be um, drug dealers at that corner. And so many people were stopping to look at the graffiti that they left the neighborhood. So graffiti can do a lot of good. It can re- mm-hmm. it can reclaim areas of the city if it's done, you know, done well. You you say something interesting there that Roman that that the graffiti is his outlet that he can yes. really be himself. And obviously, mm-hmm. there's another side of of the um, well known artist with with his own gallery. Oh, yeah, Roman Velasco side of him. Do you think there's an aspect of that? To, to each of us that actually we feel like we have to put on a front with people and w- was that the kind of thing that you were exploring as well that that actually uh, there are darker parts in all of us that we like to gloss over so people don't see it they just see the nice shiny yeah um actually i'm not that deep a person oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if that came out of there that's really good thank you lord oh. But there were, I wanted layers to his personality. And because well, of his past, you know, he didn't like who he was yeah. and where he came from. So, and it was sort of a joke, Roman Velasco. Uh, and that, but then he really was the bird. That's how he saw himself. But then God integrates everything, puts it all together into a whole person mm-hmm. at the end. If I can just talk to you a little bit more about your writing process. Um, I, you've already talked about having binders and folders full of research you're obviously very disciplined um do you have a a daily um, routine yeah i do i do um i usually well we get up fairly early rick is always ahead of me because he gets up about three o'clock in the morning and then we (laughs) well he can't sleep (laughs) Mm. um and then we i get up later of course about 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning and then we have later (laughs) and we have our devotion time he makes coffee for me and we talk and then after that I just get ready for my day and I have my bible study and breakfast and then I go to work because I think you know you need to start in scripture before you work for the Lord you need to start with him Mm. and there's always something in there that has to do with what I'm working on at the time and then I just try to do four pages a day, and I start at the beginning, and I work straight through. Four pages a day? Four pages a day. And how many hours does that take? That, it depends. Some days it, I can get done by noon. Other days, and, tw- and with a deadline, I may be working 12, 14-hour days, and six right. days a week toward the end. Wow. So, And I get immersed in it and just want to keep going. So are you you set up at home to write then? Yes. I started out uh, at a kitchen table, and then we had, um, Rick got me a military desk, and we of course we had three small children at the time, so the baby would be in the cradlelet behind the typewriter. <clears throat> wow. And the, another baby would be down in the bottom desk drawer taking a nap, and then playpen behind me. Um <laughs> wow, so you have written right the way through raising your children. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I didn't really think about that aspect. How on yeah. earth did you... Because 
your they books just got are used to it. huge and they are very involved with the characters yeah. so you must get immersed as well, you're writing. I know I one of them I think our older son wrote a poem when he went when he was going to a class at college and he talked about the sound of his mother typing and it was very comforting to them right. and they they were kind of part of it and of course I used bribery you know if you give me some time to work and I can get this much done then we'll go to the park or we'll yes, go to I the beach or whatever um, and then later on they would have they would talk about their dreams and I would just start asking questions and building a story with them and then I'd stick it in the file so they had an idea of what I was doing that's what mommy is doing mm. she's writing a story so they had some concept of it. So I mean, you talked about your daughter helping on one of the books and, yes. provide, and writing questions. Have they followed in your footsteps? Not yet. Oh. I can always hope. <laughs> I, I know my older son is a very good writer, but the problem is he thinks that if it's not perfect to begin with, you just delete it and start over. And I keep telling you, just write straight through and then you edit and then you rework and then you do all that stuff. It, doesn't have to be perfect my daughter is just like that she yeah. she is a prolific writer but she usually deletes things before i can see them so no that's no, not right yeah but it's the start yeah just just <laughs> keep going keep going don't give up mm-hmm. yeah. so going back to your writing pr- process then do you feel that god is teaching you something new um each day through it or is there a um a particular thread of what's going on as you're writing. So I've, I've read that you view it as a form of worship. It is. I think it is a form of worship because it, the whole idea is to find an answer, to try to figure out what God's teaching me through the characters of the story. And he inevitably does teach me something. There will be that goosebump moment of, ah, that's the lesson. And sometimes it doesn't come until the very end. Right. So... Oh, so you don't have a daily aha moment then? No, <laughs> no, it's labor. Okay. <laughs> um, I think people tend to think that you write uh, when you're inspired, and it's like any job. You just have to get sit in the chair and do yeah, it. It's hard graft, isn't it? You, yeah. you mentioned earlier something that was quite interesting um, about hearing the, the, the voices start talking to you. So yeah. do you actually hear the dialogue? You hear what they're going to say to each other? Well, I, the dialogue just starts coming, yeah. I, I mean, you say that you are um, taught by him with every book. So when you look yeah. back over the books you've written and the order that they've come in, can you see that that's all oh, about I shaping? I haven't thought about that. Uh, okay. <laughs> I should. I should think about that. Yeah. Yeah, I know at one point I wrote down the scripture that came to me because there usually is one scripture for each of the books. Oh, really? By the end, something like Ephesians 2.10 is is uh, the masterpiece. But to write out all the scriptures all together and see what that message was. Mm. And it was pretty interesting, but I haven't done it for a while. So, so. yeah, you you mentioned that you didn't have a title when you were talking about no. graffiti artists. How do they do the titles normally come later, or does it just really depend sometimes on the they project? come later? Sometimes they come in the beginning. And the shofar blew about the church. I didn't that that title came to me. I didn't know what a shofar was. Mm. And I thought, what is a shofar, and where oh, really? is this title coming yeah. from? And I knew it had something to do with the church. Uh, so that was different. Um, and then I, I knew it. I was traveling a lot and seeing how um, churches were really turning away from Christ, and they were they were softening the message. They were taking elements out of the message because they didn't want to offend anybody. They were taking the cross off the building, that whole kind of thing. So that was, it wasn't a a book about a particular church experience you had. No, it was just about traveling around, just seeing what was happening, and and. Psalm one twenty seven one. You know, unless God builds the house, it will not stand. You know, what's what is a church? That was the question that started that book. What right. is a church? And it's not a building; mm. it's the body of Christ. See, that was a really interesting. For but I read that book just as mm. my husband became the pastor of our church. So oh, it was okay. a very quite a scary at times. Yes. Like, oh, this is such a responsibility. Yeah, um, and really they, well, and the pastor is always under attack. I think he's mm. always under spiritual attack, and we don't. And out of that, um, that's where the sons of encouragement came from because I kept thinking about, 
you know, how you need the people behind the scenes that are going to be the strong mm-hmm. men to uphold the one that's in the spotlight, that you need those strong, faithful men behind that are going to hold him accountable and be mentoring him mm-hmm. as he's standing there because they are under fire all the time spiritually. Mm-hmm. You, you destroy a pastor, you destroy a church. Yeah. You destroy a portion of the church, mm-hmm. a congregation. Yeah, that, see, that's interesting. Uh, uh, the Sons of Encouragement, as I said to you earlier, is um, a book that my husband and some friends went through. Uh-huh. Um, and I've been through some of your books um, with other women in a book study group. Um, do you know how many men read your books? Because uh, as- I have no idea. I've gotten letters from prisoners. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, and a few pastors. But women tend to write more than men. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. and I, I would I would see your books as probably aimed at women or yeah. marketed for women. But I, yeah. it's just interesting. I mean, I've said to you that redeeming love really spoke to my husband when he read it. Um, I think they they've got a really because they've got that powerful message of God's love yeah. going right through them and his. And it takes a very fit. brave man to read redeeming love with that cover. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> What other things do you do in your time? You're obviously very oh. focused when you're writing, and you've said about having to write deadlines. Yeah. Um, but you you are based um, near San Francisco, but yeah, we're an in- hour and a half away from San Francisco. But I'm I'm learning that I love gardening. We moved about two years ago. So you out in the country? Then? We're sort of on the edge of Santa Rosa. We um, it was interesting because. I felt like we should move, and my daughter was really intent on, you need to move, you need to move, because Rick has Parkinson's. And we were living in a, a multi-storied house and concerned about, you know, falling down stone stairs. And and so Rick gave me a long list of what it would take to get him to move out of that house, because he loved that house. And, you know, there were six or seven absolute must-haves, and he figured, there's no way. She's never going to be able to do it. And Shannon and I... Um, found a house that wasn't even on the market and the gentleman was interested in selling so I I looked the place over and said well let's get dad over here and see it and everything was there that he asked where it was a fixer-upper but everything was there so he agreed to move but he was depressed I think for about three months and then a year later we moved in October a year later in October was the Santa Rosa fire and all of the house that we lived in is gone. Wow. The entire neighborhood, the whole community on that hillside is gone. Uh, wow. It burned all the way over Santa Rosa, jumped a six-lane freeway and burned through part of the other town. 5,300 homes were burned. So if we had been there, we might not have made it out of the house. Mm-hmm. And we, we wouldn't have had a home at the end of the fire. So he's very happy. And I, I look back and I think, you know, thank you, Lord, that, that you just were nudging us to move. Mm. But now we're concerned about the family. They're, they're rebuilding. We were talking to them, and um, the gentleman made it out with his pajama bottoms. That's it. Everything gone. Wow. So, I suppose that really focuses you on what's important, doesn't it, when something yeah. like that happens? Yeah. Wow. So this new place that you're in now obviously has a nice garden. Then if you said it has a big piece, well, it's under an acre, but a lot of uh, a lot of work. So for the last, well, almost two years, I've been having a blast in the backyard. (laughs) So would you say that writing energizes you, or I mean, there's there's sound like it's very involved. um, That there must be times where it's quite draining as well. Yeah. What is it that helps you? to re-energize things like gardening but are there other activities that you do to try and travel we love to travel um and i think just being home we have a bible study we've had a bible study uh for it's going on 33 years that that bible study that started to get rick to come to church is still going on the same group of people oh well nope Uh, we've had some that have passed away from cancer some heart attacks um we have new people coming in. We have three new couples this year. Um, so it's it. They there were groups that there were people that followed us from Sebastopol to Windsor to Santa Rosa. Now we're back on the other side of Santa Rosa, but and people move away. But we just 
keep going. I thought for a while that it was coming to an end because we had we lost two gentlemen in a year, and um, the wives, one wife moved away, and then another couple was moving away. I said, well, maybe it's time that we're just we just end it, and then three couples asked if they could come, so we said. Okay, that's a clear sign we're not supposed to quit. <laughs> so do you so guys run going. it then? Yeah, Rick teaches. He's taking a break, so I've been teaching it for the last year, and now he's taking it over again. Mm. So, And I taught on mentors oh. because I'm interested in mentors and what's that all about. So you are obviously over here for a, a short visit. Yes. Are there particular things that you guys like to do when you're traveling? Are you... Um, well, I th- Rick mentioned that he's a history buff. Yes. We, we've, we've been over here several times, so we've done all the tourist things, and we've traveled around the country. Um, so we have one real full free day here, and we're going to spend the entire day at the British Museum. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get there when it opens, and we're going to stay until wow. it closes. So do you yeah. are, have you always got a writer's mind going? Are you thinking, about this is something that I could be researching, I could just get, or is it purely... Um, downtime and this is purely downtime but who knows what i'll find there they, there are a lot of things there we, we actually we were in egypt and and we went to the egyptian museum and wanted to see the rosetta stone and they said oh the brits have it <laughs> so on another trip we we saw the rosetta stone but I, I you know we just didn't have enough time there's so much there it's like the smithsonian in the u.s so much to see you could spend weeks there and never get through it all you mentioned earlier that you thought that the masterpiece was going to be your last and now you've got this yeah. new idea um, obviously it's husband... up to the lord whether i do or not with, with every book i've written i never know whether if is that the last one oh, right. okay so, so that's it's been like okay and i i think partly i feel that way because it was such an important part of my life when i was writing for the general market and i wasn't a christian it really was my identity and it was more important than anything else, my career. And now it's like, okay, it's up to God whether I'm going to write a book. And if he plants something in my head and I can't shake it, then I'm directed to, to tackle that particular topic. So they, I think he's giving me a break right now <laughs> and letting me focus in different areas. And I think probably because uh, I wrote the script for Redeeming Love. So that took time. And then we're kind of in wait mode about that. But um, but this mentoring thing really interests me. So you're not so. planning on retiring anytime soon? It's no, just I, don't think, I don't think any of us ever retire. We just change what we're doing. We're always serving and working in some capacity. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. I really hope you enjoyed hearing that conversation between Claire Musters and Francine Rivers. If you want to check out the online written version of that interview, you can do. It's actually on premierchristianity.com right now. Just go to the November issue of the magazine and you'll find Claire's write-up of that interview and feel free to share that around with others who you think may enjoy it please also feel free to share the profile podcast that's right this show is actually available as a podcast many thousands of people now access this show that way if you want to join them just go to premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile all the details are there on how to get this show as a podcast and if you are listening to the podcast right now we'd really appreciate it if you could recommend it if you could rate and review us wherever you found it but i'm afraid that's all we've got time for we'll be back same time same place next week with another great guest so we'll see you next time